The running boom of the 70s came during simpler, pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields, year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runner's reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories and where they are today. Whether you are a road warrior, harrier, track purist, or simply a fan, there's something for everyone in each installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Good evening, avid listeners of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. It is uh, a little bit different than normal. We're not doing this on the weekend. This is Thursday night, June 9th. And it's been a while since we last recorded one of our podcasts. And um, it's understandable. Um, We've been downsized temporarily, I might add, um, because we've been left a little bit in the lurch by the absence of our one of our co-hosts, John Gorman. And, And Ron, would you be willing to kind of let people know what's happening and and going on with John, because, um, you know, it made recording just a little bit more challenging this go around. Yeah, um, John didn't dial into the meeting. So um, I I texted Helen, she texted back, she said, John went out for a long run with Paul Hammond. And John had texted her and said they got lost. So my guess is they found refuge somewhere, maybe somewhere where they had some beverages um, but yeah, he, so he's missing us tonight, but he, he will be back uh, to normal, uh, you know, in the next episode. We are delighted uh, today, uh, even with John's absence, uh, to welcome a real legend on the Rhode Island running scene. It's a name that Rhode Islanders will know, a family named Doyle. Um, our guest today, as a coach, has over 60, now 67 state championships in cross country, indoor and outdoor track. Our guest is literally one of the most successful high school track and field and cross country coaches in any sport across the United States. Most recently, Jim Doyle in 20, for the 2021 season was named by the US Track and Field and Cross Country Coaches Association as the coach of the year uh, at Bishop Hendrickson uh, for Rhode Island. And not that long prior to that, he was honored in 2018 as a National High School Coaches Association as the National uh, Boys Cross Country Coach of the Year. And Rhode Island being ahead of the game in 2017, inducted him into the Rhode Island Interscholastic League Hall of Fame. We're gonna be talking with Jim this week not only about his own running and his legendary coaching now over 38 years, but the really the intersection with per, a perhaps better known uh, sibling, the late, great Bobby Doyle. And you'll hear, I am sure, um, a sense of how the, their stories intertwine back in the day and moving forward to today. But with that as an introduction, Jim Doyle, thank you so much for joining us on the Runners Reunion podcast. Thank you for having me here. Really an honor. Well, we're we're delighted, and 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 recognizing the roots of the Runners Reunion and the Runners Reunion podcast, it seems fitting that we close our first season with a Rhode Island name and fixture. 
So, uh, and uh, Ron, um, I just, I'm not sure you were on when Jim and I were talking about this. Um, he was, Jim was at that runner's reunion. So we've come full circle in a very good way. Okay, well, let's get started. Um, Jim, to help set the stage a bit, can you tell us a little bit about the Doyle family? Um, how many siblings and uh, whereabouts in Rhode Island and, and help, help us set the stage for you and your brother? We were actually uh, born and brought up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, went to schools, you know, uh, the elementary schools and the middle schools in Pawtucket. Uh, there was, I was the oldest. Uh, Bobby was uh, a year younger. And then I have a sister, Peggy, uh, that is four years younger uh, than, than me. So uh, there was three of us and my dad and my mom. And uh, sometime my, my dad passed away at a very early age. We ended up moving to the Providence uh, area over on the east side of Providence and uh, went to schools. All three of us went to Hope High School. Uh, I was the first one to graduate and then uh, Bobby followed me. And then of course, my sister Peggy. All right. Now, um... Help us from a timeline perspective. What are we talking about? We're talking even predating the, you know, the running boom of, let's call that, if we say Munich 72 was kind of that marker. When are we talking about you and your brother graduating from high school? I, gradu I graduated from Hope in 1966, and Bobby graduated uh, a year later in 1967. Ah. Okay. And so, um, and I'm thinking back, Ron, uh, you know, Bob Hodge is, I think, 1969. So we're, we, we've got that kind of uh, sweet spot uh, going there. Okay. Uh, well, good, good. Now, Jim, um, given the age, the times, um, running was not a big thing um, to the extent that we now know it to be compared to some of the other, let's call them the ball sports, the football, the baseball, and the basketball. How, or can you give us a sense as to how you and your brother navigated, um, I don't want to call it youth sports at the time, but, but you know, looked at it from an athletic perspective growing up? Sure. Um, both of us had never heard, obviously, had never heard of the word cross country and, or the word track, nor probably would we have been interested at that point. You know, our minds were set on playing football, baseball, and basketball, and we would, you know, we would go against each other all the time and me being 6'2 and him being 5'9 you know I'd always you know we'd have a game of 21 I'd always uh, in basketball I'd always let him get to about 19 or 20 and then I shut him down and beat him and he'd get you know kicked <laughs> off at me <laughs> coming back on him so much but you know he would always be trying to find his niche in every sport we played baseball together we played football and then when I got to high, high school I went out for the football team and I made it, and then until the following year, I was I was six two, 125 pounds at the time. And uh, Bobby came in the next year. He went out for football. They caught him because he was really small. He was probably 100 pounds at the time, and you know, so he kept trying out for sports until he finally found a little bit of a niche in hockey. And that's only because uh, the hockey team met at like 4:30, 4 quarter five in the morning to practice over at the me um, auditorium. So he would. You know, we lived right next to the Rhode Island Auditorium, and uh, we both loved hockey, so he would go over and play his hockey over uh, there. And eventually, you know, again, you know, he wasn't very good at it, but, you know, it was he was on a team, and he loved being on the team. And then 
in Bob's uh, junior year of high school, he was uh, uh, in a biology class. The, the teacher was Ted McLaughlin, who Ted was a, a, in his own right, went on to become a great coach uh, himself uh, at not only the high school level, but the college level. But, you know, Bob was acting up in class, told him to come at, after school, uh, to go down to the track, made Bob, you know, run a mile. And at the time, Bobby was just a little guy uh, he, he had on the baseball team. Just as his job on the baseball team was to warm up catches. Bobby runs his mile. He beats everybody on the team. And so, of course, Ted walks over to Paul Donovan, the longtime coach of Hope High School, and says, hey, Paul, a little redheaded guy. Do you really need him warming up pitches? And, Paul, you know, Paul was a little bit resistant, <laughs> but finally gave in. And, and uh, Bobby ends up, you know, that was the start of his career in running. That was in the spring of 1966, you know, before any kind of running boom, you know, that had even started uh, back then. So, uh, and he got going and ended up uh, in his first year being third in the outdoor state uh, Rhode Island Class League Championship. So he was good at it. As a junior, he starts and finishes third in the state meet. So now you're the older brother. And you are used to kind of, quote unquote, beating him up a little bit or, or having his number, as, as it were, with, uh, you know, 21 and such. How did that how did that sit with you? I was proud. I really was because, you know, back then, you know, everything was covered. And by the time cross country came around, he was winning everything. And the journal would have it spread across, you know, the page pages and uh you know, our family was proud just, you know, Doyle wins this. He sets this new record. The cross-country races were at OLP at the time. And uh, he was doing very, very well. And uh, we were happy. I was, you know, I was at those, I would go down to those. You know, I had never heard of cross-country. And uh, I was really proud that he was accomplishing. My grandmother was proud. My dad and everybody was. But you didn't follow suit, you didn't no, try didn't. it yourself. So what, what's going on there? Was it, it? Well, it was too late. I, you know, I was on to Rhode Island Junior College and I went to Roger Williams afterwards. But, you know, I had already gained, by the time I got out of high school, I was ballooning up. I was smoking cigarettes by the time, I think my second year of college. Uh, and I just wasn't in any kind of shape at all. But, you know, I would still get to those uh, cross-country mates and admire what he was doing. But, you know, I, there was no, I did. You know, he inspired me so much, though, that there was another guy that was on the team that was my best friend, Ray Byron, who was on the Hope High School track team. He graduated the year before. He graduated with me. We went to Rhode Island Junior College. And so Ray still had the track bug. And so and I was a great organizer. So, uh, you know, with Bob's success, I was inspired. So I started the first track team at Rhode Island Junior College. You know, I went out, you know, I, I ran, I was horrible, but I organized everything. I appointed the coaches. I got the funding for the, from the athletic director, Vin Cullen at the time. And uh, yeah, we went out in 1967. We ended up uh, winning the, uh, the, the uh, New England Junior College Championship. And it was just a bunch of guys that we had put together, high school guys that we had put together. Yeah, we very, very proud of that, uh, doing that. So Well, so especially at the especially at the tender age of 20-something, early 20s, uh, under yeah. 25. I mean, that's a big yeah. deal. Yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. And for us, it was, you know, a tremendous accomplishment. 
you know, I tried running back then, you know, um, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she can attest to this, but I went, we went to a meet. I was going to run, took down my sweats, and I, I, uh, I had to quickly pull them back up because I had forgotten to put my uh, track shorts on. So, you know, that was probably the end of my running career for that. Part. That was part one of my running career. I said, I'll stick to the organization and just get this thing going. And, you know, we were very successful doing it. But That's I wonderful. Run. Ron, jump yeah. on in here. So, so Jim, I mean, talk, talking about the Doyle family, uh, we do have to mention Holly Walton, who, who will be a future guest on the, on the podcast. Was, was Holly at Hope at the same time? Because I know, obviously, he, he was a legend, legend in his own right. That must have been some team if he was uh, competing at the same time as Bobby. I, I believe Holly was a year behind, but, uh, you know, he was younger. He wasn't quite, you know, the runner, at, you know, that he became, but uh, but him and Bobby became great friends. I mean, you know, it, to the point where I can actually, they, they both thought of each other. There was, this became a lifetime uh, friendship. They were both considered, they both considered each other brothers. Uh, no matter where, Bobby and Holly were always together. Uh, uh, Holly followed Bobby to the University of Texas at El Paso. Uh, Holly followed Bobby to Johnson & Wales. He followed him to Doyle Sporting Goods. He worked at our store. You know, he's on the bus. He was the one that came up with the race idea of having a, a race in Bobby's honor. So Holly is like unbelievable. You know, he's close to me and close to really close to Bobby. So Jim, this is a great spot. Why don't, can you tell us a little bit? I know we've we've alluded to it in the past. There's some things happening with the the Doyle Foundation that I want to make sure that we get um, you know uh, on this podcast. Well. <clears throat> Basically, since Bobby's passing, we've had a road race in his honor. We've had, this is the 15th year that we're having the race, and it's going to be held on August 14th, Sunday, August 14th. Uh, for the second year in a row, this is a New England USA track and field championship five-miler that we're having. Uh, we've been fortunate. We have some very great sponsors every year that, that have helped us out. One in particular is Mark McCurrell, who's always – provided us with shirts and medals, and he's done it for 15 years in a row. I can't thank him enough. Amtrol is another one. And the Club 100, just to mention a few of those spots, did a tremendous job uh, in setting this up for us. But uh, for 15 years, we've, you know, we've put this on, and uh, we've been very successful. The proceeds uh, for the race, when, when Bobby was running, you know, there, was, there was no money being handed out back then. Uh, to the runners, he'd show up, and I think maybe one year when he finished, finally when he was in the twilight of his career, when he was finishing uh, at 15th at the Boston Marathon, he was the first master. He might have got, you know, $1,500, which was a, like a jackpot for him. But he would always say, and he would always run for these nonprofits, and they'd ask him to come and run a race, and he'd do it. And he would always constantly say to me, you know, it'd be nice if we had a race that uh, would just give back to the running community. So with his passing and Holly taking me on to have a race, we came up with this idea of having an annual event. And uh, that's what we've done. We raise funds every year. We have given back all of the funds to the running community. So we get in the way of high school scholarships to track and field and cross country runners. We award uh, at least six or $7,000 in high school scholarships annually. We also award uh, 
grants to various high schools so they can go out and purchase items or pay for some of the trips. Uh, last year, for instance, Ron, we come on high school as a recipient. We gave them a thousand dollars to help out with some of their expenses. So we do That's a lot of that kind of stuff. So we had six or seven schools that, that get, you know, a thousand dollars. We've also tried to help. There's been some runners that have been veterans that have lost legs or somebody has needed a wheelchair. We've gone out and bought wheelchairs, uh, helped defray the cost of legs, things like that. So we're very, very active in doing it. So, uh, so is, so help me understand, Jim, the connection between the fundraising event, which I think is that's coming up in June. Can you tell us right. a little bit about that and how that connects to the, to the kind to the race or are they? Right. Basically what's happening is that, you know, a few years ago we had, you know, a wine and beer tasting uh, to help raise funds for the foundation. And of course, you know, the, the races that we put on, we try to have all of our expenses paid for so that any of the money that we take in, we can, we can give out more money for scholarships and grants. So this uh, Friday, June 24th, we're having a really a, another one because the last few years, because of COVID right. pandemic, we didn't have anything. You know, the first year that we had it, we were very successful. We raised uh, a decent amount of money that helps you know pay for some of the expenses that we have. So on Friday, June 24th from 6th, the nine, it's at the uh, uh, Isle Brewers Guild in, uh, on Main Street in Pawtucket. We're having a fundraiser again. Again, uh, you know, my friend Mark McCurrell is donating all the wine. He also has a wine distributor. In addition to being in a T-shirt and metal, he's doing all that. He's donating the wine. And, I mean, we certainly appreciate that. And, you know, we're hoping to get a good crowd there. Um, one of my nephew, Connor, who's He's, I, I know Ron knows he's been he's been bugging Ron about you know the kind of get, making it a runners reunion. We're hoping some runners. That's what happened the last time. A lot of runners showed up. And there was a lot of interesting chats going on, and uh, we have a live band from six to nine, and they're very good, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. So we're, we're encouraging anybody, you know, the runners and you know friends, anybody to come out and just join us for that evening and help. Uh, defray some of the costs of the Bobby Doyle Summer Classic. That that's that's phenomenal, and and Ron, I think we can make sure that we'll put the um, the link. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll post that again. I'm I'm gonna try to, to make that event because uh, I enjoyed the the runners reunion, the first round of it, and so I expect it to be similar in in nature to that one. That's fantastic. Well, that that that's great. So so Jim, help us here. We already know you've got the organizing bug, and and you clearly have already leaped forward about. 45 years, 50 years. So that's very clear that you still have that, you know, that gene in you. Um, I'm curious now how you, because as you mentioned, you kind of, you had reflected, um, you enjoyed the reflection on the family from what Bobby was doing, but it didn't necessarily take. Help us understand when uh, and you were smoking. I mean, let's yep. be honest. It's um, what did Bob play a role in in you turning a different page and pivoting and doing something different with your life in that sense, in the health sense, or how did how did that all kind of migrate? Yeah, it was gradual. You know, I can remember going to all of his events and you know, even following him through college. And I think you know, one critical time probably is I went to the uh, 1969 NCAA championships in which 
Bobby was a member of the team. Oh, that would have been in Van Cortland. That's a famous race. That's Prefontaine yeah. and and all right. those guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Pre was there. Jerry Jerry Lingram won the race. Uh, Pre was third, and um, you know there were a lot of it, you know it was the first time I had ever set foot in Van Cortland Park, and little did I know that I would end up being there. You know, 49, 50 other times in my my life, when I first got to Van Cortland Park. You know, and Bobby showing me the place where, you know, they stayed in this place. Now it's a dumpy old motel across the street, but the Van Cortland Park Motel. But, you know, and uh, Bobby's team won the NCAA championship. And I was absolutely thrilled. And the only reason why I made that trip, though, is that during that weekend, you know, like I believe it was Thursday, that my grandmother had passed away. We were very close. And I just went down there to tell Bob what had happened. And we wanted it, and we took him back. And, uh, you know, at the time we went, we really couldn't afford to, you know, get him back and off to Texas at the time. But there was always somebody that would step up and help us out and with that kind of stuff. But that's how I really got involved. And the other little great story about it is that when I was there, I wore a trench coat. I, I looked like the character Columbo. Uh, and I was leading over the finish line. And, uh, Maybe you guys remember Jeff Johnson, who was uh, one of the uh, close associates with Nike, but he was also a big guy photographer who became a great friend of our family. But he took pictures that day. And later in, uh, I guess it was the early 80s, when I was really running competitively, they published a story about Jerry Lindgren. Where is Jerry now? He was actually living in Hawaii. But on the picture was a picture of me leaning over the finish line with the stretch coat on this Elvis sideburns and uh, with a cigarette like this here, stick it out of my mouth. And when I showed this, the picture to everybody, all of my friends, well, now I was back to six to 150 pounds running marathons. Not one person could pick me out of that picture uh, of, of running a marathon. So it was shortly after that, you know, that I realized that like in the 1969, 1970, era that you know smoking wasn't good for me and I wanted to start running I weighed a lot and it was a way for me to lose weight I can remember Bobby talked me into running a race in Coventry the first race I ever ran was a 13 miler I was dead last in that race and uh, you know but I you know I did it and I felt like a tremendous sense of accomplishment and uh, it really got me hooked uh, into racing that sounds to me like payback for all those times you beat him in 21 or something. It really was. <laughs> I can remember, it was, I forget the, uh, I remember, and this is road racing back in the early 70s. It, um, the race director would drive around in a car and put out, you know, and tell you where to go. And like, I'm going, okay, left here, right here, right here. And I'm in Coventry, Rhode Island, and I'm saying, doesn't this ever end? You know, and I'm going up and down hills and sweating. In fact, I have some, my wife laughs at him. There's a couple of pictures of me at the beginning, smiling away. And at the end, I'm total pain of that race. But I have the fondest memory, but that's how I get started. So it was the, gradual, but then, but then the bug slowly bit and, and yeah. dug in. Ron, you were going to say something. As, as did the training. You know, uh, but I think to note, I, I think you had some fairly fast marathons. Didn't you get into the high 240s or so? Yeah, no, I got into the lower 240s. I got it actually. Okay, that's incredible. So I can, in my first marathon that I ever ran, I was supposed to run one in 1978. I ended up uh, hurting my back. I was probably running 50 miles. And 
awake and Bobby, you know, was stressing the importance of the 20 milers to me and uh, they were working and uh, I was gradually getting better and better into shape back then and I uh, hurt my back. Uh, that was the year of the blizzard and I decided to train and in 1979, I decided to run the um, Montreal Marathon. It was the first marathon I ever ran and I was well prepared. Uh, I ran with a friend and I ran three hours and 15 minutes. And it might've been 314, but somewhere around there. And I said, wow, that was easy. And I probably did go too easy. I was in a little bit better shape than my friend. So uh, Bobby talked me into doing another marathon. That was in August of uh, 79. So I decided to run another marathon, the Ocean State Marathon. And I got down to 302. And then I went to 258 and 256, 254. And every time I ran a marathon, it, it just went down lower and lower. So 248 to 246 to 244, and, you know, down to like 242. So, it, I mean, I, I ran maybe a total of nine or 10 marathons uh, before a friend of mine who, uh, Bruce Gamash, asked me to uh, coach at St. Raphael for one year in cross country, and that was 1984. And I was pretty serious about my running and uh, I said, okay, I'll do it for a year. <laughs> so, well, that, so that's a, it, that's a great segue, Jim. So, but the competitive beings that the three of us are and running was still very much your own running was still very much, you know, front and center. What possessed you? What do you think now? It was it the favor to the friend or was, did you have an inkling that this would become more than just a, I'll do it for the year. It's, we're now looking at 38. Did you have any sense that this is something you might lock yourself into in, in a good way? I meaning that it would, that it would, you know, feel right. Not at first, uh, you know, I had no inkling. I was still running competitively. I, you know, on, on the 84 team, the, the guy, I was handed a three by five card. There was maybe four names on there. You know, I met the team and one of the guys was smoking cigarettes. And I thought back to my old times of smoking cigarettes. He was, you know, fairly successful runner, but we, we weren't that good. And uh, I did the cross-country team. Uh, the athletic director was Don Kavanaugh, who just retired from the LaSalle Academy. And we became good friends. And he asked me to do indoor and outdoor track, but I did because I was still very much into my running. And then he convinced me, of course, to come back in 85 to do cross country. And I did. And we got a little bit better. In 84, we didn't win anything. In 85, I caught, I caught the buck. Uh, I just really loved being with these guys and trying to help them become better runners. You know, I, I knew it was time for me to back off a little bit. And it was time for me to give back uh, to a spot that I truly loved. And and, uh, you know, with the help of Bob, Bob gave me a, an awful lot of advice and encouragement and workouts to start off with. And it was all experimental in the beginning. And uh, 85, like I said, we were better. I still got, took on the indoor track and the outdoor track. Uh, I convinced my wife. We didn't have a girls team at St. Raphael. I convinced my wife to start coaching at St. Raphael and do, helping me with the girls because the girls wanted to get going, you know. And we were kid. The boys started kidding the girls about how bad they were, forgetting, you know, how bad they were when they started. But we started the girls' team. And uh, by 1986, the fall of 1986, 
we won the division championship. We were totally undefeated. We were probably seventh or eighth in a state meet. Okay. And, uh, 1987, St. Rayfield had never won a state championship. Well, they had, hadn't won a state championship since 1955 in cross country. We ended up winning a cross country state championship in uh, 87. We came back the following year and had a team score of 18. We had five guys that were first team all state. Wow. That year. And by 1989, and uh, the girls were winning state championships. So. The dynasty is born. Yeah. That's so, exactly. so what? Um, so you're there at uh, at Saint Saint Ray's for about ten years, and then yeah. what? What was the catalyst to move you? Because you're not a teacher. That's one of the other things we learned in kind of. Um, you know, you had the store. You you were have been doing other things. So, what was the catalyst to move to to Bishop Hendricks? I hated moving. Uh, as I said earlier, Don Cavanaugh was the athletic director there. And him and I, and along with some changes in the administration, and you could clearly see that they were going to go in a different direction. Uh, and they really, you know, you got the impression that they didn't want any pot of cross country. And there were a couple of incidents that happened. And, you know, I, I, I won't expound on, but not with me, but with some of the kids. And they were just really tough on the kids. And then Don decided he was going to leave. And I decided I was going to leave when Paul Alianello, the athletic director at Bishop Henrikin, found out that I was leading. I had, Henrikin had won quite a few state championships. And, you know, you know, I was the only one that had defeated them. And then I had won three indoor state championships at St. Rayfield. So he called me in and said, Hey, how would you like to coach at Bishop Henrikin High School and be a co-head coach with me? And I said, sure. And uh, sure enough, in, in a little while, I became the head coach, you know, doing it myself. So 67 state championships later, Ron. Yeah, Jim, back in the day, obviously now, um, even if you don't know much about coaching, you can find a lot of information online. Did you have any mentors to help you with the coaching process and uh, that sort of thing? Or how, how did you get up to speed on how to train uh, high school athletes? Well, my biggest mentor, of course, was Bobby. So I, you know, I, I knew a, a lot from doing my own training, but I, that I got from Bobby. <clears throat> but I had to adapt, to, as you just said, Ron, to training high school athletes. The one thing that, that I found very important back then, and I still find it important, and I'm sure you, you would, both of you guys would agree, is consistency in running and getting out there. There's, you know, uh, if you don't get out there, and I made that important. And uh, Deb and I would host, uh, you know, long runs from my home here on Sundays for the for the both the boys and the girls. I mean, we like I said, I was handed a postcard with three or four names on it. By the time I had left St. Raphael, I would have forty boys and probably thirty five girls, seventy five kids here at my house to do a ten mile run on a Sunday. And then it became a 12-mile run. So we, we always knew that the long run, the backbone of, of training. So that would start. And then, you know, the workouts kind of evolved, you know, the tempo runs and stuff like that. I read a little bit, you know, Daniel's books, you know, some of the other coaches. Right. And I would read things, but I always tried to make sure that anything that I read would be applicable to the guys that I or girls that I was coaching at the time. You know, there were things that were out there that 
that were great workouts, but they certainly weren't going to work for high school kids. And if you wanted to keep them nice and healthy, they weren't going to work. But I mean, and it, and it was the thing kind of evolved. You know, when I first started, it was probably these guys were able to do 40 miles a week. And then everybody wanted to get better. So maybe, you know, became 45, 50. Now some of the guys do 60, 70 miles a week just to be competitive. Uh, it sounds like just the camaraderie that you develop with those teams, you know, when you get a group of kids together right. uh, for a long run, 10 miles, rather than going out there on your own, it just, it, it just makes it that much easier. And it's fun. Exactly. That's what happened. You know, um, those kids that the St. Rayfield kids, they're still friends, you know, to, to this day, the same thing with the kids at Bishop Henrikin, the kids that have run together, you know, they talk about it all the time about how close they are. And, you know, if, if, if there's anything, you know, more important than even the state championships is, you know, the friendships that uh, have evolved over this past 38 years from all those kids and seeing how they enjoyed each other's companies and the great times that they never forget about it. So it was really something that, uh, I love to this day, and, and that's why I still coach. Kind of a related question. It, it's a little bit into the head, uh, perhaps, Jim. What is the toughest part, the toughest element of the sport, and call it cross-country and track, you know, mixed together? What's the toughest part of that, of what an athlete needs to do that um, to convey to a high school athlete? You know, who may just be exposed to it as a freshman, sophomore, or junior, maybe came from the soccer team. Do you know what I mean? It, it's kind of like if you have eye-hand coordination, that's one thing. But how? What, what's the toughest thing in your experience that you have to work on to? And the light bulb goes on with the kid. I work on, uh, you know, as I said before, trying to develop consistency with the distance run. So. Every year that, you know, we'll have a ninth grade class come in and, you know, most of the guys, everybody thinks that I'm out there recruiting, looking around, you know, for great runners. You know, if somebody wants to come to Bishop Connecticut High School, that's great. But, you know, there's a tuition. There are no scholarships. So these runners have to be developed and they have to, you know, work gradually into becoming a distance runner. I'm sure, you know, Ryan, you probably remember when you started it's hard to get somebody to run two miles and to believe. And then they'll have a little success at their first race. They want, or they'll see a teammate become successful. They'll say, I can do three miles. And then all of a sudden I find myself trying to hold them back because, you know, as a freshman, I don't want to running a lot of miles. I want them to gradually get into this program and become successful and then like the sport. You know, you don't go out there, and torture them and give them a ton of miles in the beginning because then they're going to absolutely hit it. So getting them to like this sport, introducing it in a gradual way and letting them find their own success and also making sure even the slowest runner on your team is recognized. That's one of the things that I'm most proud of is making sure that every single person on this team is recognized. I go to the point, we do trips all over. We go, as I said, we go back to Van Cortlandt. I take these guys to North Carolina. I take them to Manchester and cross country. We go back to the Nike regionals. And every single kid that's on my cross country team has an opportunity to compete at all those levels. 
by the time we're done, they, they all want to improve. You know, they all want to get better times. And, you know, I'll have guys that, prime example, I had a guy, Jack McManus, probably started off running 5Ks in 21 minutes, who's now, you know, running them in 14 minutes in college. But, you know, to give you an idea of how people improve, you know, that's what we want to have happen. It always doesn't work that way. They're good. But most guys that start off in that 20, 21 minute range, they get down to 17, 18 minutes. And the majority won't get down to, to the 16 minute range. So, and that's, that's why it was successful in cross country. There's no secret. As you, as we kind of think of these story arcs, you've got you and, and Bobby intertwined, and it's very clear the, the close relationship you had. And then the long, the decades long coaching experience, were you ever tempted to, uh, to see what it might look like at a collegiate level? A couple of times. In the early, in the 19, well, the first year that I took the job at St. Raphael, I was contacted by, uh, as I said, uh, Don Cavanaugh was my uh, athletic director there. Well, his brother was coaching at Holy Cross. And uh, this was like, I had been coaching probably pretty close to 10 years. First year at uh, uh, Bishop Henrikin, I really hadn't uh, started the job. Uh, did a little coaching in the summer, and I was contacted by Don's brother, who's the head coach, and he wanted me to coach at Holy Cross. And I visited and and I came very close to a certain position. And I spoke with a friend of mine, Bob Rothenberg, who was the oh, yeah. coach at Brown University. And he said to me, Jim, you know, he said, you're a great high school coach. He says, you know how to develop high school runners. The runners that you have now are probably better than what the guys that are on Holy Cross. He said, You'd be disappointed. He said, you're knack is, you know, the coach. Uh, high school kids. And so that was the first time. And then I had a, a runner that was on my team, Sean Nassani, he graduated in 93 and then went to Bryant University, ran there. Tragically, he was killed in a 9-11 uh, plane crash. But before that, just before that, there was an opening for a coach there. And he asked me to go. I did apply for the job at Bryant and uh, there were 105 People had applied. I got down into the top five and they didn't choose me. So, you know, so, you know, I guess in hindsight, it was certainly a blessing. You know, I always think that uh, God was always watching over me. And this is something that, uh, you know, I was good at and he wanted me to continue to do. So, I, you know, I don't have no regrets. I, I love coaching high school. I love developing runners and seeing them become successful. And success by their terms, not necessarily, you know, wins and losses. It's the improvement. Right. Yeah. By their terms. Certainly by their terms. Well, let's see. We've covered a lot of ground here. Maybe one final thread. And then, Ron, I think we're getting kind of close to uh, close to time. Help me understand the connection that you have with Bob's kids in the vein of coaching and, and, and running. So Bob passed away in 1997. Is that roughly... 2007. 2007, excuse me, excuse me. Um, but if I'm understanding it right, you've had, you know, you've had uh, a bit of role with some of his kids. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had, uh, well, Bob's oldest kids, this is by his first marriage, uh, Brendan and Patrick ran. And uh, 
Patrick ran for me at St. Rayfield in his freshman year and before I left. And Bob ended up coaching him. He was an all-state runner. Brendan became an all-state runner. Uh, Patrick ran a little bit at Providence, didn't do much. Brendan ran uh, for Bobby's friend, Mick Byrne at Iona. Uh, was a very successful career at Iona. Then there was three children by Bob's and his second wife. And uh, it was Brian, Connor, and Mackenzie. And all of them are runners, very successful runners. And uh, Brian was at Bishop Henrikin uh, with me. Uh, he was in his sophomore year uh, when dad suddenly passed away. So I took him under my wings and uh, did my very best to you know, make him a successful runner. He became an all-stater. He was so determined uh, you know, to make his dad proud. And he was a big inspiration behind our 2019. He got those kids, everybody on that team to believe that they could be make it to the Nike National Championship. Well, we went to the regionals, and I mean, we won the states. We went to the New Englands. We won the New Englands by one point. Went to the Nike uh, Northeast Regionals. Ended up winning that, and and what off we go to Oregon, and uh, you know, with a team that you know was just an okay team, and we ended up uh, finishing tenth in the nation out of the twenty-two teams that were there that year. But he, he was inspired certainly by his dad and, you know, he wanted to prove to that team and wanted to do something for his dad. And, I, and I'll never forget that, what he did for that team. And then his brother followed Connor, who in his own right was a great runner also. And Connor ran some incredible times and he ended up at UMass Lowell, very successful runner there. And last but not least uh, is the only girl that Bobby had was Mackenzie, who was his pride and joy. And when she was very young, when Bobby passed away, she went to LaSalle Academy, became an all-state runner. You know, not, you know, she wasn't really a great, great runner, but uh, she was good in her own way. She went to UMass Lowell. <clears throat> her first year was okay. She met a guy that probably running about 70 miles a week. She got into it. So, I mean, she is really probably going to be one of the more successful Doyles, you know, of that, of, of all of them. She's done really well. She's so proud of herself. She sent me a little, you know, because I used to preach to her. I said, you know, I'd say to her, she would take a lot of days off at LaSalle. And I'd say, I counted days off and, you know, and it would be always one day a week. And I was always a proponent of trying to get as much running in. And I'd say, okay, that's 52 days. They gave you, you know, six weeks off here and that's more. So you have a hundred days. I said, who's going to be the better runner? A person that is running a, a hundred or so more days than you or you. So then, you know, she would, now she sends me stuff back. Uh, Uncle Jim, you are right. She's running these incredible times. She, she had a, she sent me a copy of her watch. She did a 12 mile long run last week at like 635 per mile. And I said, wow, you know, this is really great. And, you know, and I know her dad would be so proud of what she did. She was Little East champion this year. And, uh, in uh, outdoor track, she's had tremendous accomplishments. So uh, Bob would certainly would love and be proud of her, what she did. So, so Jim, I've I've gotten to know Mackenzie uh, and Connor through the UMass Lowell connection, and to your point, she's just been on a tear, and it's yeah. been fun to watch the transformation over the past few years and how good she's she's gotten. Um, so yeah, that's been been a joy to watch. I mean, <clears throat> I. 
it's uh, she finally caught the consistency bug. She realizes how important it is to get that training in. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I could, I would talk to her, but I would never say, hey, you have to do this. You know, it, it came on her own. She really realized that she knows now she's out there doing incredible workouts. I'm so proud of her. For you know, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? That as much as we think we may know the answer, we can't tell our offspring or the people that we may coach that this is the way it has to be. They have to find it. It's part of their their own journey. Uh, that something will something will click, and and uh, then it go from there. It happens yeah. all the time. You know, you know, like even with my high school kids, you know, I'll get a note. I wish that I would have listened to you, and I wish I would have done this. <laughs> and now they're running competitively. And they're running better. So you know. Yeah. You know well, let it click in. <laughs> well, Jim, what I would love is to do a study of all the letters you've probably received over the time and figure out at what age this, <laughs> that <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> well, uh, I'm struck, Jim, by the the nature of how your relationship with Bob has, you know, intertwined all the way along and even come full circle. In, right. in so many respects with his kids and, and, and you being the big brother uh, to them in, in their own way too. And, and it's just, a, it's really a, a marvelous story of, of, of hope and love and um, uh, inspiration, both with, within the family, but what you've been able to offer to the kids that have been fortunate to be coached by you over 38 plus years. And if we take those four guys on that postcard or on that index card in 85, and you're then looking at 40 and 35 and a roster and multiply that over time, your influence as recognized nationally and in the state, you know, speaks volumes. I just wanted to mention one other thing that Bobby kind of wrote me into too. And, and that in back in uh, 1992, uh, he was asked to coach the team and training program for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in Rhode Island. And he did it, you know, for the first year. And I joined him. He always asked me to help him out. So by the next year, I was the head coach of team and training. And I did that for 22 years. And, you know, I coached adults. And, and so it, it came to be that I now coached over 2,000 runners to run marathons. And that ended like around 2015. But to this day, because I love coaching those adults, you know, I get up every Sunday morning and go to Roadrunner on North Main Street in Providence. I have the key to the door. I open it up. And sure, and there's about 25 adult runners that come in there to ask me for advice. I go out, give them Vitalite, uh, which was called Gookinade back in the day, give them their drink at every three miles, and they're happy. And uh, it, it's just then in the afternoon, I'm off coaching high school kids. So I, I truly love the sport. And I truly love coaching. Well, we are all so fortunate that uh, you caught the bug, <laughs> and that and that it that it's continued. And what a great way to celebrate the runners reunion in Rhode Island. Um, and Gorman missed a good one. So I'm, we're going to shut this down here in the most positive sense. We, we uh, want to thank our guest, Jim Doyle, coach extraordinaire in Rhode Island, recognized nationally for his talent and, in, uh, and inspiration of countless athletes to better themselves 
as, as well as better themselves as athletes. It's been a real pleasure, Jim, to have you with us today on the Runners Reunion podcast. And on behalf of Ron Galuli and our co-host in uh, Abstentia, John Gorman, I'm Grant Whitney. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back sometime this fall with another installment of the Runners Reunion podcast. Thanks so much for listening.